in the music world, there is something called the note of resolution. It is that a song ought to end in a certain direction, that it ought to end in a note similar to how it began, that there is a movement from dissonance to consonance to instability to stability, that that last note needs to have some satisfaction uh, to the listener's ear. If you want to do psychological damage to the Western ear, just let it hang. And we'll all be emotionally distraught until we can just hear that last note of that song. To bring resolution, uh, that sweet note to end with. In some ways, our life can be described that way. Where in our hearts we are yearning for a resolution. For all the conflict that we will endure, is there some resolution? Will the person end up in a better position than they started? It is the the heart behind our fairy tales when we have that happily ever after. When all the conflicts are finally resolved and the characters are getting their just deserves. And it is frustrating for us when we live in a world that doesn't seem to work that way. When there is oppression and injustice and, and there's conflicts that occur in our heart and we're thinking, I don't know how there will be any resolution to the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm seeing. In fact, that's one of the reasons when as I talk to people that they have a hard time believing in the God of the Bible. Because they see injustices and oppressions and uh, in others' lives are they themselves endure these things. And they read what the Bible says, that God is all-powerful, that he's at work and in control. And we're thinking, well, you know what? I just don't see any resolution. Maybe God isn't like that. Well, for those of us who will go through those moments of life, and it will happen when there are uh, the minor notes of our life, the, uh, well, the, the sour times. There is a resolution, and I want to present to you Genesis 48 as an example of one man who found resolution in a tortured life. He was a tortured soul, so to speak. Uh, But yet, at the end, at his deathbed, he gave out praises and blessings that showed a resolution that took place in his life. And I believe it gives us hope. Uh, and teaches us that this is the same God that we worship. And it is the God who also can bring resolution to our soul, no matter how tortured it may be. And so, we are continuing our study of Genesis chapter 48. And we are almost at the end. Uh, as you can see, if you turn your page, you'll see chapter 50. And that's it. And we'll... I've gone over a year and a half in this, but uh, we are studying him, studying Genesis, studying how God is working in history and bringing salvation as it's now centered uh, shortly on Jacob's life here. So in honor of this passage, as we study together, let's read Genesis chapter 48. Let's stand as we do so. We'll read silently as I read aloud to you. After this, Joseph was told... Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. 
Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. You may be seated. Well, this is the story of God bringing a redeemer to mankind. Remember, at the beginning of this book, mankind messed up. They disobeyed God. Sin entered in. Death entered in. Disease, sickness, all that came in. To exist as we know it now. But God gave a word there would be a Messiah that would come. And the book of Genesis is the tracing of that promise. How God is bringing that redeemer to mankind. And how he selected out Abraham. And God called him out in Genesis 12 and said that he would be through him the blessing to all the nations. And that those who bless him would be blessed. And those who curse him would be cursed. And that promise, the people, the land, the nations, the kings that come from this line is traced to his son Isaac. 
though he had another son, Ishmael, who was older, God chose Isaac to be the one of which the promises would inherit. And then how Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older, but God chose Jacob to be the one through whom this line would be blessed. And then the Bible started tracing Jacob's life. And it was a difficult life. By Jacob's own summary, it was few and evil were the days. And so what what has happened? Well, you remember, early on in the life, there was a feud going on between uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob wanted the blessing. He wanted the favored position. And they were fighting head to head, trying to get the daddy's approval. But daddy loved Esau because he was a hunter. He was a man's man. Jacob was not. And so he was striving for that blessing. He tricked his brother Jacob by selling the birthright uh, that was to go to the oldest son and sold the birthright for a, a pot of soup. And then later, he deceived his own daddy as his daddy was giving out the blessings on the deathbed. And he deceived him then, uh, though he did not die, but he was giving it out. And he tricked his daddy to think that he was Esau so that he got those blessings. Well, his brother hated him, sent out murderous threats against him. And so Jacob fled, left, went up way 100 miles up north uh, to his uncle's land. And there he found and fell in love with Rachel and Leah. And there he was striving for her, for her, hoping that maybe if I could get Rachel, that life would be good. And he desired Rachel. But his, his father-in-law tricked him, gave him Leah instead. After working seven years, worked seven more years, got Rachel then, and then continued to work. And the father-in-law changed the wages after wages. And finally it got so tense that Jacob just up and left and his father-in-law went and pursued him and was doing going to do harm to him. And it seems like Jacob is always fleeing away from something, his family. But God established a peace there. And there, Jacob, in the midst of a, well, contentious household, wives against wives, ended up being four different women with all their children, all fighting against one another, trying to get first place. Trying to get first place in Jacob's eyes. And then his daughter, Dinah, gets raped in the city of Shechem. And there his other sons do a murderous rampage through the city, wipe out the city. Genocide. (laughs) Things get worse? Sure. His beloved son, Joseph, is missing. And he believes that he's... He's killed. In fact, I think that if they had milk cartons back then, you would have seen Joseph's picture on there. Have you seen this kid? 17-year-old, missing. And he loses Rachel, the beloved wife. Joseph, the beloved son. And it goes from misery to misery. And finally, as we get to this point, lo and behold, Joseph is alive and well and leader in Egypt, second in, in, in authority, brings Jacob back. And they have a wonderful reunion with all their family. It's been 17 years now. 17 years of, of Jacob spending time with Joseph and his sons. And, and as Egypt's going to pot because of the famine, Israel and the people are being blessed. And now, finally, Jacob is about to die at 147. And it's interesting that in this passage, it seems that life has come full circle. Where it first entered in, Jacob 
trying to get the blessings of his daddy, now ends with Jacob giving out the blessings to his sons and grandsons. And along the way, we'll see that Jacob learned some important lessons because he walked with God and resolution came to his soul. So without any more ado, let's get right into the text and start going. (coughs) We'll see how God has worked. And now uh, Joseph is probably around 56 at this point. Uh, Jacob, 147, Ephraim and Manasseh, they're in their 20s, all right? They're not young boys. They're, they're in their 20s. Uh, and so here they are, and Joseph has come at the call of Jacob, and Jacob's about to die. And Jacob is recounting his life and gives some highlights. It's interesting what he brings out as highlights in his life. Uh, you notice the name change in verse 2. You remember God changed the name of Jacob to Israel. Jacob means deceiver, supplanter. Israel means uh, one who prevailed with God. God changed his name. And so you see the interchanging of names as Jacob is ill, but Israel, Israel rises up to give blessings. Uh, and so we come to uh, verse 3. He says, you know what, Joseph? Some significant things happened to me. God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. We find in Genesis chapter 28 and in chapter 35, this happens twice. All right, remember the stairway of heaven? God gives the vision to him. He's going to be with him wherever he goes. He says this has been a significant event. He recounts word for word in verse 4 the promise God gave to him, except he adds everlasting possession at the end. Now, let me just stop here for a second. You know what? We you know what Jacob's doing. He is witnessing to his son and his grandson about the things of God. Dads, have ever you stopped and told your children how God has worked in your life? Have you shared with them how God saved you and how you came to a point of decision in your life and you followed him? That is important for you to tell your children. And so here, Jacob is doing that with Joseph and sharing significant things of God's working in his life. But he adds that everlasting possession. That's not found in 28. It's not found in chapter 35 when God's speaking to him. But it is found in Genesis 17, verse 8, when God is speaking to Abraham. The everlasting possession. What does that tell me? Jacob knows what God had done with his dad. And he knew what God was doing with his granddad. How did he know? Because granddad and dad told him, again, reinforces that lessons. We need to tell our children how God has worked in our life. And so verse 5, he says, now, you know, know this. Now, you've got two sons. I'm claiming them. <laughs> they're mine. I know they, I know you took care of them and all, but they're mine now. All right. And then he explains why they're his. Not only because of what God did in verse uh, 3 and 4, but also because of what happened to his wife. Uh, verse 7, he says, you know, your mother, Rachel, I loved her dearly. She died young. She died early. We had to bury her on the way. It's as if, if if she had continued to live, there would have been more sons. But there's not. So there's just you, Joseph, and there's you, Benjamin. And so, Joseph, I'm going to claim your sons as mine, as the sons that could have been, should have been, if she had still been alive. I'm going to give the blessings to her. Reuben's out of the picture. Why is Reuben out of the picture? Well, Reuben's out of the picture because, well... He slept with daddy's wife. All right. That'll mess it up. Okay. And so, again, Jacob's life is hard. And so he's no longer in the firstborn uh, prominence. And so Joseph comes in and takes the place through his sons. Now we come to uh, verse 8. And Israel saw Joseph's sons. He said, who are these? Now, 
He's not necessarily saying that just because he can't see too good anymore and because he's 147. He's also saying this because this seems to be a kind of a ritualistic way of bestowing the blessings on their son. An acknowledgement or a question, who are these? And, and to affirm exactly who they're blessing. Now, do you get the idea as you read this, the similarity as you read verse 10? Out of the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see as these two sons are coming upon him. I wonder if he had any memories whatsoever of his own daddy who could not see and had to trust the truthfulness of his sons as to whom he was blessing. I had to come back and think of those things as Jacob was about to do the same work. And so, verse 9, Joseph said, these are my sons. God's given them to me. Now, Notice the differences here. What's going full circle? Well, he says, I'm going to bless them. All his life, he's seeking a blessing. What's going full circle? Here it is. The, the blessing seeker is now the blessing giver. What's the difference? As he acknowledges down in verse 15, he says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. And what is implied, not only has daddy and granddad walked with God, I too have walked before God. When you walk before God, some significant things happen in your life. Whereas Jacob once was a blessing seeker, now he has the ability to be a blessing giver. Notice how he does that in verse 9. He says, bring them to me, please. Notice that I may bless them. Jacob's saying, I'm going to bless them. How does he do that? We'll read verse 16. After acknowledging who God is, he says simply, referring to God, bless the boys. Do you get that? I'm going to bless them. Bring them here. Okay, God, you bless them. His blessing was simply asking God to bless them. All right. What is implied in this is a relationship between him and God that now he can give blessings. Let me share this with you. I, growing up, I, um, I, you know, in this neighborhood, there are all kinds of barbecue places. And my parents love barbecue, so I'd grow up going to all kinds of barbecue places. And it seemed inevitably at every barbecue place, it didn't matter where it occurred in the state, somehow there was always the same tea pitcher that was kind of like this red lid, with uh, is either gray or white with all this red endorsements on it, you know, Atkinson Mill, all this uh, kind of stuff uh, that's on the picture. And there's always, of course, extremely sweet tea. I knew exactly how it tasted before I ever, ever had it. All right. And, and so I just always thought this is a barbecue thing, you know, I have this picture. Well, in the last church, I was visiting some of our folks where they worked. It was at a mill. And wouldn't you know it? I saw that picture. I said, you mean you guys put out all these pictures? Yeah, not only do we put out all the pictures where the tea comes in, we put out the cornbread and the hutch puppies and, and all the other stuff. I'm like, you're kidding me. No. He said, come on, let me show you. He showed me around and showed, showed me where they brought the cornbread sticks out, you know. And I'm telling you, I've never had a cornbread, cornbread stick so good as when it just came out of the assembly uh, machine and it hadn't been fried yet. I thought, man, this is some good stuff. <laughs> and he showed me the, the biscuit mix and all that. And, and so we, we are good friends to this day uh, with the Axon Mill. And so I can tell you that, hey, you want some biscuit mix? I can get you some biscuit mix. Now, what does that mean? I'm gonna get, I can get you some cornbread mix. I can get you some hush puppy mix. How, what does that mean when I say that I can get that? Does that mean I go back to my backyard and get out the grist mill or get out the, the, the uh, grinding stone and grind it up for you? No, 
I know someone that can provide it. And so when I say that I can get that for you, I can go to them and say, hey, will you will you give me some biscuit mix and I can give it to you? You See, it's based not on my ability to make biscuit mix, but based on my my relationship of someone that can. So when when Jacob is saying, I will bless you, he's not trusting in his ability to bless them, but trusting in a relationship of someone that can bless them. Do you understand that when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you acknowledge your sin and say, God, I need you, and you ask him to forgive you and trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and his resurrection, that there at that moment in time begins a unique and powerful relationship between you and God through the very spirit of God and that you can talk to God God can talk to you and speak to you through the word of God and that you can become a vessel of blessing a vessel of blessing up to this point remember Jacob he is he has been striving over stuff he's been fighting and feuding with his brother to get the blessings of his daddy and then he was fighting over Laban to make sure that he could get Rachel and thought if I could just get Rachel then life will be sweet and then it wasn't sweet after he got Rachel. And then he thought, well, well, maybe if I can just get, you know, get all the sheep right and I can get the money and I'm going to try to strip the bark just right so that they're going to reproduce and, and, and my, my economy is going to grow. If I can get all this, then life will be great and I can be a blessing. And all along the way, God's teaching him, it's not by your efforts and striving to be a blessing and striving over things, but it's by your relationship with me that you can finally be a blessing. Let me just share something with you. Every single one of you can be a blessing. But it is dependent on whether or not you will orient yourself toward Jesus Christ or stuff. If stuff and things and people become the heart of your life, you will always be striving for something else because it will never quite satisfy. But if you will find your relationship with Christ and make that front and center and make that the joy and hope of your life, you'll be amazed at what you can do and be to be a blessing to someone else. And that's what's going on now in Jacob's life. Where all along he was a blessing seeker. Now... He is a blessing giver. Well, the story story goes on where Joseph brings the sons to him. And he tries to to set it so that uh, Manasseh is on Jacob's right hand, Ephraim on Jacob's left. Why? Well, Manasseh is the firstborn. And in that culture, it was customary that they would be the honored son. They're going to get more stuff, more blessings, more everything because of their firstborn. And so that's the the trend. And so Joseph's falling right in that trend. But Jacob understands what's going on. And instead of just putting his hands directly out, he crosses his hands. So that his right hand, that of strength, that of honor, would be on Ephraim. And his left would be on Manasseh. All right? So Ephraim will get the superior blessing. Manasseh will get the inferior blessing. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so as he does that, notice what he says in verse 15. This is a beautiful blessing. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Let me just share something here. Jacob's going full circle. How so? When walking with God, he learned. He switched from being the captain of his destiny to the flock of the shepherd. What do I mean by that? The captain of the destiny. 
Jacob has been relying on his own ability, his own cunning to supplant others, to achieve his destiny. But all the while, God was working in his life, and it wasn't until later that he saw that it was God doing it. And now he is no longer resting in his ability and his efforts and his cunning, but resting in the shepherd who's working in his life. Now, this is totally un-American. I mean, I mean that, just, that just looks unappealing. I mean, really. I would much rather be the captain of my own destiny than a flock of a shepherd. Come on. That just doesn't have any kind of appeal at all. And that's American, and we understand that. I, I deal with that. I, I, was, I like to, to drive a car. I don't like to ride as a passenger. Uh, you know, once you start driving a car, it's hard to sit in the passenger seat. And I was doing that this past week, and my wife was driving. And, you know, I, I was just noticing that. It seemed like I was straddling the white line. I think, man, Julie, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna drop me off the road here, you know. And Julie assured me, said, I am not going to drop you off the road. I've never dropped off this road, whereas you have several times. Okay. <clears throat> she didn't say that, but she knew that. And I knew that she was thinking that. And, you know, there's verbal communication, there's nonverbal, and there's a whole lot more that goes nonverbal. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I know that, I know that, but it's just that man, I want to be in control. I, I don't care if I do drop off the side of the road. At least I'm driving, you know. That's kind of our thought. We just want to be in control. But you know, there are some times when you realize that's about the worst place you can be. That occurred to me when I was in India. Uh, they just follow different rules of travel over there. And there's a lot more people. And I got on these roads and I think, man, the things are operating ways I don't, I don't get. And people are just cutting in front of you and the horns are blaring and there's everywhere you look, there's a car and, you know, they're yelling. He's like, man, I don't know what to do and, and I don't know how to get to where I need to go. I'm going to die if I drive here. And I thought I was going to die riding there. You know, I, you get in this car and trust on this driver you don't know anything about. You can't talk to him. Next thing you know, you're out in the field somewhere. <laughs> and they look lost. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I really got concerned. Because it occurred to me they could just drop me off here. and That's it, you know. I'm walking to America. You know, it's just, but you're dependent on these drivers. You get in situations every once in a while where you realize it's more than what you can handle. Let me tell you, welcome to life. Life is not something that I want to be the captain of my fate in because I don't know how to handle the next bend in the road that comes my way. I don't know the motives and thoughts of the people around me. I don't know if they want to hurt me or help me. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and I don't understand what happened yesterday. I don't even know myself. And then we want to be the captain of our destiny. Sure, if you want to jump off a cliff, you know. It is a good thing to be in the flock of this shepherd. Because this is the shepherd that created you and created me that knows yesterday as he wells as he knows tomorrow And he is the one who is in control. It is good to be in the flock of the shepherd. And it took, it took Jacob over a hundred years to figure that out. And now a change has occurred. He says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. 
Let me just bring out something else here too. How long was he his shepherd? Shepherd all my life long to this day. Now what do you know about Jacob? I hope you've one thing you may have picked out is that Jacob didn't have it right a lot of his life. He messed up. He acted selfishly, uh, impulsively sometimes, violently other times. He messed up. But it's interesting that God never stopped being a shepherd all his life. Every once in a while, I was talking to somebody this, this past week about this. He didn't want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ because he was scared that he wouldn't be able to stay true. He didn't want to be a hypocrite. He said, if, if I just if I do that, I'll be a hypocrite. I, don't, I try to help him understand it's not about your behavior. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that's in question here. He says, but you need to understand, your future life and your relationship with God no longer is dependent necessarily on your ability to be disciplined. It's resting on the Lord's ability to be a shepherd. It is totally like a sheep to go astray. They're stupid animals. They do that, you know. But it is like a shepherd to come and get the sheep. So... What's my assurance of salvation? It's not in my ability to be disciplined, but it is in the Lord's ability to to, to shepherd me. Shepherd Jacob all his life. Now, you read verse 16. Going on with this blessing. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Now, that's different. Consider what he said in Genesis 32, or in Genesis uh, 42 verse 36 when he said all these things are going against me and then in Genesis 47 when he's talking to the to Pharaoh he says the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and they've not attained to the days of the years of my life my father's in the day of their sojourning what has he learned in that 17 years since making that statement he's learned this the angel who has redeemed me from all evil <coughs> let me explain that we have an 18-month-old little guy, and uh, he walks and grabs and runs, which means that if there's anything that he can see, or he doesn't really have to see, anything he can reach, he'll take it. And it doesn't really matter what it is, as long as he can take it. It could be something worth $2 to something worth $200. It makes no difference whatsoever to him. And he'll take it, and he'll just... Yeah, I'll walk around with it and, you know, he's totally absent about it. And then whenever he's finished playing with it and handling it, he'll just throw it down. And he doesn't really care about where he throws it. Now, the problem with that is I can't talk to him about where he threw it. And every once in a while, I just want to say, Evan, where did you throw my car keys? You know, I need to drive the car. Or he'll... Grab the Blackberry and I say, no, don't, don't. I know it's got buttons and it lights up, but no, you can't throw that down. I need to know where it's at. I spend my days when I'm at home redeeming things. All right. You know what I mean? Something that could be easily thrown down the air vent. Something that can be thrown on the couch where no one else knows and sees. Something that no matter how value it may be, could be lost to me and of no use anymore if I just let them have it. 
I'm redeeming it. I'm bringing it back, taking it away from him with his many tears and saying, now I can use it. There is a little guy in our life called chaos, disaster, and it can take away decades of our lives. Well, there are points in our life where we're wondering, those years I spent toward this person, I loved them, and now they're no more? How can it be that decades of my heart poured out to this one that I love is dead? It's all those years of my life for naught. Or it could be jobs, money, things, houses, health. Any number of things that we can look at And ask ourselves, does that mean they have no value anymore? They're just evil, heartbreaks. And we say, God, how can it be? You knew I love this so much. You knew I love this one so much. How can it be? What kind of love is this, God? It's all just memories. Are things that could have been, should have been, and they're no more. I don't doubt if Jacob had thoughts along those lines. Any number of those years that Joseph was away from him, Rachel was away from him, and all the other heartbreaks that came into his life. But notice what he says here. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. What's changed? Because of his walking with God, he's changed from being a victim of evil to being redeemed from evil. There has been a note of resolution that has occurred in his heart. And he's realized all these things are for a purpose that I could not see and I did not know. And now I see that God is at work. He is the one. He is the one who's the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, even though there's been much of it. God, this God, will you bless Ephraim and Manasseh? And so, in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so, Jacob uses Ephraim and Manasseh and says, through this line, may God's blessings continue through Ephraim and Manasseh. And you see how Ephraim and Manasseh do come to the forefront. In fact, all of northern Israel later on in the kingdom years become known as Ephraim and Manasseh. You see that they are a multitude, a large tribe that continues in the nations of Israel. And that you see that Joshua was one of the first leaders after Moses. He was of the tribe of Ephraim. That he was the leader until they had the kingdom years. Uh, and so you see that arise until ultimately the tribe of Judah rises up, just as was prophesied later in the next chapter. And that they too become a multitude. And so, verse 17, And Jesus saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim. It displeased him. He tried to correct him. and said, Father, maybe you're getting a little absent-minded here. Maybe you can't see. You, you know the firstborn ought to be blessed. Why are you crisscrossing? Why are you blessing Ephraim instead of Manasseh? Maybe you just can't see. But notice verse 19. The father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great. 
Nevertheless, his younger shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By Israel will by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Notice what's happening here. Because of his walking with God, he is he is being moving from physical sight to spiritual sight. He doesn't see people just in the normal way of society. Normal way of society, said Manasseh, you got to be the firstborn. you got to be the one of blessings. Now he sees it through God's eyes. Let me just encourage you to look at people through God's eyes. You know that person that kind of irritates you? It's great, Sonny. they got that knack, you know? Maybe you need to ask God, can you help me to see them through your eyes? How do you view them? Or maybe that person that hates you. You don't know what you did, but they hate you. God, can you help me to see them from your eyes? I would have wrote them off a long time ago as worthless and no good. But God, you love them. Help me to treat them as you want me to treat them. Help me to see from your perspective. And so... Jacob sees Ephraim and Manasseh, not from what the society says, but how God says it's going to happen. You kind of see this continue on, not only as he relates to people, but he looks at future events from God's perspective. He says, uh, verse 21, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. He says, I know from God's perspective, he's told me we're just here for a little while. And understand there's somewhere else we're going. Don't settle too hard in Egypt. And then he gives them some promises here. He says, moreover, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites, which my sword with my sword and with my bow. It's interesting that that one mountain slope could also be translated portion. But the Hebrew word sounds like Shechem, the city. Interesting enough, when Joseph's body was brought back, that's where he was buried, in Shechem. Uh, and that's indeed where uh, the tribe, uh, the tribes were settling in, uh, which is known today as the West Bank. Uh, those in Jerusalem would say the eastern part of Israel. Uh, and so that's uh, where it's at today, in this area. But Jacob saw the future from God's perspective. Let me just also tell you to do that with your life. Look at your life, not just with physical eyes, but if you could see how God sees. Look at your destination, not with the eyes of the people around you, but understand that where you're at is just a temporary place and God's got another destination in store for you. Live for that destination. When you walk with God, he can change you from being a blessing seeker to a blessing giver. But you've got to walk with the Lord. You've got to love him and make him your object of treasure. When you walk with the Lord, you will be changed from the captain of your destiny to the flock of his sheep, the shepherd. You'll be changed from being the victim of evil to be redeemed from evil in his time. And you will be changed from physical sight to spiritual sight and see things as God sees things. Now, we have no promise when this note of resolution occurred. For Jacob, it occurred while he still lived. But for there are many of us, it may not hit. We may not hear that last note that brings sense to all of life and the arrangement previous until we're there before God. 
And I can tell you a little bit of what that note will sound like. Do you know the Bible records that note for us in heaven? He says the refrain that constantly is going forth in heaven is worthy is the Lamb who is slain for our sins. All honor, all power, all glory, all majesty be unto Him. And so when we look at the troubled, stressed parts of life, the things we can't figure out, the dissonance in our life, understand there is a constant, there is a movement from instability to stability. There is a movement from things I don't understand to seeing through with God's perspective. And just trust in that. And you walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Let's pray.